Welcome to Down the Beaten Shaft, where you listen to my shitty spoken mannerisms and we talk pop culture for you. Uh, before I introduce today's guests, I want to preface by saying that these guys are my 411s. Uh, I come to them regarding anything from video games to cinema, comics, you name it. Uh, but let's jump right into it. You know, uh, today I have the pleasure of being accompanied by my dad and some pretty close friends of his. Uh, they own their own podcasts, uh, Tap In, Geek Out, and Bitfaced. Um, and the other one appears on both of them. Uh, so thank you all for joining me. Uh, thank, definitely go check out their work when you get the chance. Uh, they are way more articulated than I am and about a much broader range of subjects. Um, so today we're talking in depth about James Gunn's recent The Suicide Squad movie. Um, so I'm accompanied by, by Carl, who happens to be a DC expert. What, what, I just want to start off by asking you, what did you think of the movie overall? What was your overall interpretation of this film? Hey, Colin. First of all, thanks for having me on, man. This is a this is a real treat. I've been doing this with Eric and Doug for a couple of years, and they're the guys that got me into doing this as well. And I just think it's a total blast. And so it's a ton of fun to get to be on your show today. Um, what did I think about it? I thought it was a great step forward. I really enjoyed it. It had a completely different feel, a completely different mojo to it than the first two. I mean, you could you could feel the presence of James Gunn in this one. It 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 felt like it was born from the same place as Guardians of the Galaxy. So overall, uh, I thought it was was a massive improvement on what we saw from uh from the first one. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sold that it couldn't have been a little bit better, but but by and large, I felt like it was definitely as good as the work we saw from James Gunn and Guardians of the Galaxy. Eric, what did you think? I have to agree with Carl. You can see Gunn's fingerprints all over the film. And let's let's stop a second. I thought the movie was good to answer your question. And also, thanks for having me on. But let's stop for a second and appreciate a director, writer, producer, James Gunn. Can you guys name another artist out there that you've liked every single thing that they've done from the beginning? Back from Tromeo and Juliet all the way to this version of The Suicide Squad. It's been excellent. Sorry, Carl. Go ahead. Not at all. Not at all. I was just going to agree with you and say the only the only person that he becomes close is Nolan. Right. Yeah, I agree. Nolan. Maybe Shane Black. Tyler okay. Perry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can name a few people, but think about the length of Gunn's career. I think DC needed to make this movie, but I also think DC needed to make this movie six years ago. As soon as I saw it and saw the violence and the darkness and the real uh, biting humor, where has this DC been? Where have they been the whole time? Because good God, if if James Gunn is the key, have him direct everything going forward. Seriously. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I I was waiting for this kind of suicide squad and, and I almost hate to compare it. um, But I found it as almost like the Deadpool films of the DC film or the DC universe. You know, it, it brings that, like you said, the comedy, it brings the gore and it brings the kind of, the character arcs that aren't too meaningful, but are kind of present still. Um, and James Gunn, I feel like, was the perfect one to do it with. I mean, from from the start, you know, David David Avery made a decent first Suicide Squad. I mean, I, I personally didn't like it, but I I think that James Gunn blew his movie out of the park, you know, because it wasn't a reboot. This movie wasn't a reboot, but I know that James Gunn did it way better than any other director in my mind could have done it. 
Gunn gets great performances out of his actors. And I think you can put any DC character in the world in his hands and you're going to get a really good take on the character. You might not like it as much as the comic book take, but he did a great job of getting performances. And that that's also Guardians of the Galaxy. That's one of my favorite horror films, Slither, which if you haven't seen it, want to check out some old gun. It's great. Lollipop Chainsaw, the video game, was absolutely amazing. Gun just has a magic about him. And when you hear him interviewed, it's like they're interviewing a kid that's just happy to go on set and play with his toys. That's the kind of energy that I think a movie like Suicide Squad needed. Well, and you hit it right on the head, Colin, when you said that this was their Deadpool. I mean, it had the exact same like you could have seen Ryan Reynolds in this movie. You could have dropped in Deadpool with a parachute and and he would have been right at home inside this movie. So, I mean, totally. you're absolutely right. This was their their uh, their Deadpool. Doug, what did you think? I uh, so first of all, I'm. <clears throat> I'm glad that I didn't sit down on Saturday to talk with you guys about this because I, I had a chance to watch the movie a, a second time. I'm really glad I did. I think I've said that before when when we're doing movie reviews because uh, I walked away with a, a much different experience and <clears throat> I think a better appreciation for the movie. I almost see it as a documentary. Colin said this isn't a reboot. And I, I hope we talk about that a little bit about exactly what this movie is because it was – kind of a remake but kind of a continuation from that last suicide squad movie but more importantly it shows you how you can redo a film that's why i call it a documentary Zack snyder needs to watch this fucking movie to learn how to remake a movie well and and you hit it on the head there doug because is it a is it a reboot is it not a reboot well this is one of those unique kinds of properties that literally the point to it is the characters are supposed to be disposable so it doesn't matter. Like you want to call it a reboot or you want to call it a second film. It, it really doesn't matter because the nature of this is even if the first one had been tremendously successful, you might have seen Boomerang go the distance. You might have seen Will Smith and Harley go the distance. And that would have been it, right? They would have immediately reloaded with new guys just so they had somebody else's face to blow off. Boomerang's one of the characters that confuses me the most because Jay Courtney plays him in both movies. He dies in the first 10 minutes in both movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's confusing. What, what I think it is, is I, I maybe not a reboot, but I think it's more of an establishment on where they want to take the Suicide Squad. So I think the first film, you know, it would, if you look at it from like a historical, like the history of the Suicide Squad, it was kind of just its own thing. Um, but if you look at this first film or the second film, uh, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, it's it's a mashup of the original history of The Suicide Squad and the New 52 version, where the New 52 Harley is separate from the Joker. She does her own thing. She has her own character. She doesn't have to be around Mr. J to be her own character versus the history of The Suicide Squad. You know, if, if you look way back when they first started, they were fighting monsters, like giant monsters made of dinosaurs, and that was their gig. So they brought back Starro, huge monster, you know, where they're fighting them and whatever, and they take care of them. But they also have the character element from the New 52 movies, so I, or the New 52 comics, rather, that, like I said, I think they're just establishing where they want to go. They're, they're showing, hey, we're going to take this and this and this, and we're going to put it all together into one solid film, and this is where we want to take the Suicide Squad. Interesting. Um, so it sounds like you did some research, right? Uh, I did. I did a, do a lot of research on this. You, you learned a little bit about the Suicide Squad going into this? 
I did. So do you realize how long the Suicide Squad's been around? I it I I the thing that I read is they've been around. I think their first appearance was in Brave and the Bold, or if it was rather just a mention. Um, which I, I can't put a pin on the of the. Oh, no, look at the but, kid go! I'm impressed. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I can't put a pin on the year, but I can tell you it started in Brave and the Bold. It started with Flag, his honey. Uh, doctor, someone I think was his, I don't remember, but it started with flag. It didn't have any of the, the off brand, off kilter, weird villains or anti-heroes rather, right. but it started with flag. It started with the idea that it was a suicide squad fighting these monsters. And then it kind of over time became something different. Yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah. So it did. It started in 1962. There were six issues. They were part of Brave and the Bold. And for you guys may not be aware of it, I, I know the name Brave and the Bold is familiar because they've done animated stuff on Cartoon Network around Brave and the Bold. And mm-hmm. the cartoon format was very much the same as what you got from the original comic book, which was it was just kind of this like hodgepodge of stuff. It was short stories like trying out a new hero, something like that. Let's throw Shazam and Green Arrow in a story together, like whatever, just as like some random off book. And they would try mm-hmm. out ideas there and they tried out the Suicide Squad. And so you're right. The, that first incarnation of Suicide Squad was really just a kind of a almost a science fiction-y special ops team dealing with dinosaurs underground and a bunch of nonsense like that. But the modern version of it started in 1987 with the Legends miniseries. And I just out of curiosity, have you ever had a chance to read the Legends miniseries? No, I okay. personally have not. No. Have you have any of the rest of you guys? No. When you said 87, I'm, I think I'm remembering the same Suicide Squad, but it was like a, a black cover. It was definitely their own issue. And I want to say Deadshot and Boomerang were both members of that team. But it's like silhouettes of uh, silhouette styles of like eight different members of the Suicide Squad. I didn't realize there was an incarnation before this. So thanks for teaching me something, guys. Yeah, so if you if you go back and you read Legends, Legends is the thing that was done right after um, Infinite Crisis in the 80s when they consolidated and, and cleaned up the universe, right? And so it was kind of a reboot of the relationship with the Justice League and everything else, and it was done in a really nice prestige format. And one of the weird like throwaways in this story was that Darkseid had sent a big bad minion to Earth called Brimstone and, you know, the, the Justice League's down for the count, whatever. And they uh, they activates Task Force X at that point. And that's the first version of Task Force X where you have Amanda Waller running a bunch of antiheroes and super criminals that are going out to deal with some nonsense, right? And so what you saw, the, the one you're familiar with, is like the first issue of the move forward storyline of independent books for, for Suicide Squad. But it actually got its reboot in the Legend story, which is an amazing six-part miniseries. If you haven't had a chance to read it, I highly recommend it. There's one other thing I want to add here, and then uh, and then I want to see what Doug's got to say about this too. Um, this is actually the first instance of Barbara Gordon as Oracle. Like she was Oracle running intelligence and operations in Suicide Squad before she was ops for Batman, which is like amazing when you think about that, like as as, as important of a character as that is to the Batman family, that she actually got her start uh, as a Suicide Squad data analyst, basically. So, Doug, you were going to say something. Uh, just a, a neat 
piece of trivia that I, I noticed. Uh, Waller, Task Force X, uh, Barbara Gordon's first appearance as Oracle were all authored by John Ostrander, who appears in this movie. He's the, uh, really? the long gray-haired doctor who puts the bomb into, uh, I think it's Peacemaker's head. In, in the, oh no, it's uh, uh, Savant. He, he mm. right right in the beginning, he's the doctor that puts the uh, the bomb into into Savant's head. And Ostrander actually appeared in the first Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad movie as well, so he's getting some love for uh, bringing these characters to the screen. Well, and and back to what 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 Carl was saying about how um, you know Waller got this task force X together to take care of Brimstone. That was uh, in. in in those particular early set of comics that were establishing what the Suicide Squad was and when they first started making their own appearances as their own little ragtag gang is um, Amanda Waller mentioned that, hey, these are people who don't deserve anything, right? They don't deserve anything in the world. So we're going to go give them this task that is impossible it's suicide name get thus giving the name suicide squad so and that's what i really like that they establish in this film too is these are from prisons you know what is it called bell bell rave bell rave Reeve. bell yeah. reeve correct yeah so bell reeve they didn't mention that in the first film i may be wrong they didn't mention bell reeve in the first one they you know they just mentioned it's a black site that these guys are coming from um so the fact that they mentioned bell reeve that that is the actual place that these these this prison that these people come from and that they're the worst of the worst criminals you know they don't deserve anything other than to die you know they that was kind of a callback you know as i was saying with them referencing the the deeper history of suicide squad and james really taking that into account versus just the new 52 version which is what the first film was more centered around so yeah the fact that they mentioned bell reeve was awesome to me because you know it felt it felt like i was right at home you know i knew more about bell reeve than i knew about the the new 52 take on the suicide squad so right. just it pieces like that that go back and forth to the history of the suicide squad and like you said legends and all that i i really i really appreciate that <laughs> i i'm still stuck on the fact that we had five or six major characters in in that first movie and i'm sure there's an explanation for it out there somewhere but i mean viola davis we're it's the same characters and the, and the same actors joel kinnaman is as rick flag margot robbie mm-hmm. is harley quinn obviously we got Batman and different in, tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did well, she? Oh, absolutely. Her back tattoo in the first one is like property of Joker. And this one, it says property of no one. There's a lot of uh, there's another tattoo change, too, as well. But until you brought up Boomerang dying and I only saw the first movie once, Doug, I thought 100 percent this is not a reboot. This is called Suicide Squad. It takes place in the same timeline in the same universe. But if Boomerang died in that first movie, then my theory <laughs> falls apart. So, okay, I'm I, uh, confused though. Did he die? He did. I, he he did. did. Okay. Yeah, one of the one of the first characters to die in in both movies. Although the first death in this movie was much more satisfying because I think I stood up and cheered when Pete Davidson's face got blown off. But <laughs> yeah, Bo- Boomerang ate it early in 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 both movies. Like it it was almost comical. Like they they step out onto the street. I don't even think they made it to where they were going at first uh, before he got killed. But I mean, it was kind of cool because we got Batman and Flash in that first Suicide Squad, so you felt a little more interconnected. But 
I mean, we didn't we didn't get any of that in in this movie. No, no Henry Cavill, Gal Gadot didn't act in either movie. Cara Delevingne didn't act in either movie. <laughs> and I and I and I think you know, other than the obvious contractual reasons for that, I mean, I think it's good. I think that. I think that the idea that this is kind of beneath their 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 notice, so to speak, or this is, you know, they, they don't sully themselves with getting involved in this kind of bullshit. I think it speaks well to them not being there. But, you know, the thing to your point about all these people dying early on is it almost seems like now it's become maybe it's maybe maybe this is the new joke. Right. It's like if you get two more of these Suicide Squad movies, like maybe. Tom Cruise plays somebody stupid and dies in the first 30 seconds. You know, like maybe that will be like the ongoing joke for Gunn and all this is that I'll bring in some A-level talent and convince these guys to give me one day on set. You get to wear a fun costume and you get to die a spectacular death. And then, you know, you can leave just for the fun of doing it. Well, and, and that's I wholeheartedly agree with you because. My second watch through, I actually the first time I watched it, I did not realize that TDK was Nathan fucking Fillion. Didn't know that at all. Like I, I like I, I heard his voice. I was like, OK, whatever. Kind of overlooked it. And then the second time I watched it, I was like, holy shit, that's Nathan Fillion. You know, and I, I almost felt like, like I said earlier, with the Deadpool, how it's, this is the Deadpool, the DCU. They did that with um, uh, who was it? Uh, he was on um, X-Force and he hit the electrical wire. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Yeah. Brad yeah. Pitt, yeah, the A-list actor, brought him in for literally two seconds of screen time. That's right. it, you know, and and you, you and that's exactly what I saw in in the beginning. They brought in Nathan Fillion and killed him off immediately. Fillion is a gun staple. He's been in almost every James Gunn movie except for I think before Gunn knew who Fillion was. So you're always gonna see Fillion. You're always gonna see Michael Rooker, also a gun staple. Gunn's brother plays Calendar Man in the movie. You're going to see him. You know, he's also uh, Rocket Raccoon. I was also shocked, though, Doug, that we didn't see one of the big DC people in the movie, but that kind of gave it its charm. Before we move on to Carl, who has an excellent point, I don't know if you guys recognize the song in the beginning of the movie, but I love Gunn's soundtrack choices throughout this whole film. The Pixies are great, but if you want my number one pick, it's uh, the people that have died by the Jim Carroll band. When that kicked in, I was at my parents' house and I stood up and cheered. No one else knew. They were kind of like, oh, this is just some stupid punk song. No, that's Jim Carroll, Basketball Diaries fame. If you've never read the book, it's excellent. But starting off the movie with that started off on a high note. Because people who died uh, somehow didn't actually make it onto the official soundtrack. But it, it's such a such a, a perfect song selection opening with. Folsom Prison Blues not only takes balls, but I think also set a tone like right from the beginning, we're going to get an amazing fucking soundtrack score to go with the movie. Again, Zack Snyder, please watch this movie and take fucking notes. Yeah, I was I was thinking I loved that they used Dirty Work by Steely Dan. It just like, again, looking through like this, this amazing catalog of music that you could choose from. I mean, there's, there's a hundred good choices. Like, how do you, how do you go about like narrowing the list down to even 20, let alone getting it down to eight or nine for a soundtrack. Right. And, and like, how do you pair it to the scene? How do you pair it to the pacing and everything else? I, you know, Folsom prison, amazing choice for the opening credits, but dirty work to me was just like, was just an inspired choice for the movie. So yeah, as, as usual, 
James Gunn and James Gunn's production team puts together like the best fucking soundtrack of the year when it comes to movies. Yeah. Dirty Work didn't make the soundtrack either because they only used that song in the trailer, although they played the whole song, which was amazing. It didn't make it into the movie. It was just the trailer. It was it was just the the last Red Band trailer that we got really? before the movie came out. And it, it's one of my favorite movie trailers of, of all time now. But see, there you go. I mean, that that to me still makes the point, though, because if it if it puts you in the place where you need to be to like get the tone and the direction the movie's going to go, even if it's trailer music. I mean, you got to believe that James Gunn had his hands on that, too. There's no way he wasn't the one that, that made the call on that. Well, and you can what I really appreciate about it is that about the soundtrack is it felt very Guardians, E, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, where it, you know, it has those 80, the 80s, you know, most of the music you guys are talking about. I'm not going to lie. I don't know about uh, couldn't couldn't tell you a shit about it. But um, what I can say is that Guardians held that that I think that's what held Guardians in such high esteem with everybody is that it had that. 80s alternative rock music just playing throughout the entire film you know but it was more recognizable songs it was more songs that like you might have heard when you were five you know in my instance her songs you were heard when you were five or ten or whatever so that how it resonated with a lot of fans and he brought that right over to suicide squad you know it's going to be an action film it's going to have 80s and uh 90s alternative and rock music and maybe some punk in there you know and if it, it just has that guardians feel to it and i feel like that's exactly Exactly what the DCU needed is a shift in tone from the very dark, you know, more noir, gritty piece to this more light. It has light, bright colors, but it still has some gore and has some really good comedy and it's it's raunchy, you know, so that I think he did that perfectly. Great gore. Better than Deadpool gore. Name me a superhero movie that's DC or Marvel that had violence like that. People's heads getting chopped off, exploding. When bullets hit, you felt it. And none of the action was convoluted or confusing. I always knew who was shooting who. I always knew what was happening. There's a great scene about 45 minutes into the movie where uh, Idris Elba's character, who is exactly like Deadshot, and I'm going to ask you about him later, Carl, if if he's even a real DC hero, and John Cena are having a a shoot-off with the exploding bullet and uh he's like you know don't be a show-off and he's like yeah you can be a show-off if what does he say if it's bad as fuck or dope as fuck dope as fuck (laughs) dope as fuck and at that moment i fell in love with cena i like cena anyway from other things i've seen him do but he really did a good job with the peacemaker character especially since he has to take the the turn to heal in wrestling terms if you will near the end of the film yeah i I, I was really interested to get you guys' take on this. Like, how how did you guys feel about the villain composition for the movie? Because it's critical. You know, this is this is a, a a dinner, if you will, that you're like pairing an appetizer to to a wine to main courses. Like, you you have to pair this combination right, and right has to be a combination of like, do we believe that this is the team that was necessary to meet the objective? But from a filmmaking perspective, like, do you believe that this team gels in all the ways that are functional and dysfunctional that you needed to in order to make the movie? So with that in mind, I wanted to get a, a read around the room. Like, who did you guys think was the best introduction as far as like new character or the standout for the Suicide Squad? And before you answer, you're not allowed to say John Cena. So take Cena off the table. Who else did you like? Uh, I'm, I'll go and kick it off. I really liked um, Bloodsport. I know he was a stand-in. 
Uh, I know that it was basically another version of Deadshot. But to answer your question, Eric, yeah. And a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Yeah. He (laughs) (laughs) Kumite. He he is a real villain. He was a a Superman villain. You know, they do the setup where they say that he put Superman in the ICU. And that's that's real. I actually somewhere in a box of comics have a Man of Steel issue where he's fighting Bloodsport. So he's a real guy. And and obviously what they were doing was they were creating the setup where we are going to see Rick Flag go away. But we need somebody that is still kind of a moral center to run this thing. And so if we see another movie, I think it's got to be Bloodsport that kind of plays this straddle the line Rick Flag character. Eric, what did you like the best? And you're talking I have to pick a, a new character that I haven't seen before because I character. honestly thought that uh, Margot Robbie did her best Harley Quinn. I've seen her play Harley before, and I'm not going to say that she was bad in those other roles. I'm always going to compare her to the television Harley Quinn and also my dream pick to play Harley Quinn, Anna Ferris. I thought Robbie was stellar. I thought her delivery when they were escaping and she's like, well, you guys can go. I can go back up there and we can free me again was so good and earnest. And you can really see the good in Harley. She also arguably had the best action sequence. Did James Gunn shoot that or did John Woo? Because the turns (laughs) and the the things like that were definitely influenced. I, I thought that was really cool. I liked Polka Dot Man a lot. But I thought that they went to the mother joke well one too many times. It's like, yeah, yeah. we get it. I, I get it. I understand it. But I like that actor that played him. So I thought that was good. And then I was going to ask you, you you did your research, Carl. Were any of these characters not DC canon? And I know the answer to this question. Uh, well, so when you say are they not DC canon, do you mean did they make somebody up that didn't exist before? That's what I'm um, saying. If I had to guess. I would say it was probably um, the Nathan Fillon character. That's that, that would be my guess. That's a very good guess. James Gunn created him specifically for the film. Yeah, because it, really? it, it's just a little too absurd. I mean, the, the death is great, but the character you could tell is literally designed for no purpose but to die. So, you know, short of like Kite Man or Condiment King, like I don't. I, I just don't see a more useless villain in the DC universe than this guy. So I, that that had to be the, the the natural choice there. So, Doug, what did you think? Who was your favorite? Um, Gosh, I mean, you took Cena off the table right away. I definitely enjoyed his performance. But if I have to pick someone besides him, who do I go with? Uh, you know, I, I, I think I got to go with Harley, too. I, I think okay. it surprised me when, when Colin told me that... Uh, he he really didn't dig on that performance, but um, she's had a few turns to get this right, and she's gotten better at her Harley every time. And and like Eric said, best action sequence. Um, uh, she gets some pretty amazing one-liners too. We get a really weird sequence where we think she's gone completely off the fucking rails, and then boom, brings it right back. Loved it. So do you think that the whole side tangent with her like crawling in bed with the dude you know that runs the country was that all just set up so that they could do the 10 minute fighter way out of the building scene did it serve any purpose other than that uh i think it showed us that she's she's still broken and uh, and she's still got she even points it out she she's attracted to fucked up dudes yeah they killed everyone except her it shows that harley has worth right 
That's right. what I got out of it. One thing that didn't make sense, though, is they threw the dress down the hole and she was still bound and they were get, get into the dress. I thought she was going to have a one liner like, well, how the fuck am I supposed to do that? But then <laughs> next scene, she's in the car wearing the dress. She likes pretty dresses. How about you, Colin? Who did you like the best? I, I think it's pretty easy. I, I have to. I'm sorry. I have to go with Polka Dot Man. I love him. Like it. it like you said, they use the mom joke. I mean, sorry, that delivery of Idris Alba. You know, that's your mom. It's 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 a your mom joke. It's it's as simple as that. And it's so good. You know, if you take it out of context, it's a your mom joke. I loved it. Polka Dot Man was more of the, you know, he was the nihilistic character and kind of didn't have a lot of talking and dialogue, but he still served a purpose. You know, and and if you look at it, I mean, I, I think he was the one of the more powerful, you know, um, people on the team. You know, he he his polka dots just like vaporized anything. You know, he was strong, but he was he was uh, withheld um, about how he used his powers and didn't want to use them. But then he found a way to use them effectively. And um, but as for Robbie, um, just real quick, as for Robbie. I, the only issue that I have with her Harley Quinn, she plays a, a, a pretty good Harley Quinn from what I've seen. The only issue that I brought up to you, um, which is what I brought to you, Dad, was was her accent. I hate the accent. I love I love Robbie's performance. She plays, you know, that whole scene with her putting the like unlocking herself with the key. She did that by herself. That was all, and she did it in one take, from what uh, Gunn said. So she plays a perfect Harley, but it's it's the accent. To me, Harley has always had more of a mannerism, you know, kind of like how when Americans speak, they pop a British accent from time to time. That's always how I viewed that was that she didn't have this Long Island accent all the time. It kind of came with her character as a mannerism because when she's Harley, Harleen Quinzel, she doesn't have an accent. You know, if you watch any of the animated films, she doesn't really have an accent um, until she becomes Harley, which is why I say it's more of a mannerism than more of a character trait. So it's interesting you you bring up Polka Dot Man because it's one of the things that I loved about this movie in in doing some of this research is that you know James Gunn had a rule two rules when when DC asked him to do the movie he said I'm writing an R-rated movie and you're releasing an R-rated movie you're not going to cut my script and turn it into a PG-13 it's going to be an R-rated movie when I'm done or we're not going to do this and the second rule was that he got to go through the archives and decide what villains he wanted to use. There were some hard rules, like you can't have Joker, you can't have some things like that, right? But in general, they're like, man, anybody from the B and C bench, buddy, they're they're yours. And one of the things to me that's so great about comic books is that you know they they started as 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 funny books for little kids, and there was no desire for continuity. There was no interest in that because nobody saw any legacy to come of any of this. Right. And so at some point, you know, like green lanterns around long enough that somebody says, man, we got to put some legs around how this freaking magic ring thing works. And then, you know, you have that it's willpower driven. And then you get this world of continuity that makes this thing that was silly, meaningful. Right. And that's exactly what they did with polka dot man. Right. They took polka dot man and said, this guy is a, he's a, he's a clown, but they, they took it and made it real and turned it into something that was, to your point, Colin, like substantial and scary and powerful. And that, to me, is like the greatest thing about being like a writer or a director or somebody that works in the medium that's allowed to tinker with the history of comic book content is you can make this as dumb as you want. You can reinvent this in as amazing of a way as you want. And, I mean, he totally nailed it with Polka Dot Man. It's stupid on the surface, but it's terrifying when you see what he can actually do. 
So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I he was definitely my my second place. No, I wholeheartedly agree with you, and I think they make a point to mention that too. You know, multiple times they say, well, he throws polka dots at people. You know, they they bring they bring right. attention to like, wow, it's such a stupid fucking power. You right. know, but it's so strong, and, and throughout the entire film they build it up. You know, oh, I have to expel. I have to expel my polka dots two times a day or else they'll kill me. And then later on he mentions, oh, it killed my siblings. And my mother worked for Star Labs, which I love that. I love that reference. Yeah, I don't nice, really talk about nice Star reference, Labs enough. right, right. Yeah, they don't talk about Star Labs enough. But they bring so much attention to his character just to have him use it very little and then die right at the fucking end. It was amazing. It was great that he was such a strong character that would have so many more uses within the DC universe or even just the Suicide Squad but then they off him. It's perfect. I love it. What does it say that no one picked Ratcatcher 2, who is arguably the main character of the movie? I mean, she's kind of the thread that pulls everything together, and she's the one that's ultimately responsible for the victory of Task Force, Task Force X. I have a problem when you have a power the whole movie and you use it to save everyone in the last minute. Like, why didn't you do that an hour ago? <laughs> we we never would have had Starro. If you can command every rat on every surface ever, well then she can just win every battle. That's the biggest problem I had with the film when I watched it last night. It was like, well, that was kind of cheap. But I really like that they had Starro. And so if Starro shows up, Carl though, in the DC universe, isn't Superman, Green Lantern, someone's gonna get a phone call, right? Yeah. One of the so original Justice League covers is all seven of them fighting Starro. Yeah, I was thinking about this before we got started, and I actually, Doug and I chatted about this for a few minutes the other night. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting that they chose Starro for a couple of reasons. Um, you're right. In the Brave and the Bull Justice League of America, um, I think it was from, I think it's issue 28, Starro is the main villain. And this is, make no mistake, an Omega-level villain. This is a villain that is on this same level of, of danger and, and, and consequence as as Darkseid, because, you know, what does Darkseid want? The end of life equation. So Darkseid can like remove all free will. Guess what? Starro just shits out a bunch of little starfish and does the exact same thing. So, you know, Darkseid's still out there in the universe, tilting at windmills, trying to find the end of life equation. Starro just rolls into town and does it. So I I thought it was an interesting choice for a villain. Um, I, I also loved, and this is kind of a tangent, but I also love the Easter egg of all of this being connected to the Cordo Maltese. Cordo Maltese is the, uh, the fictional Cuba ish country in, uh, in the Caribbean where all bad things come to uh, a close in the DC universe. Right. This is, Wait, uh, that's not, that's not a real country. <laughs> no, what wasn't, wasn't Cordo Maltese the one that. In the Dark Knight Returns exactly. issues, they, they, he was launching the nukes over and whatnot. They were the yep. ones that they're pretty big bad, you know. Like yep. they're they're Very mentioned good, a few times. I yeah, Colin, man, I'm impressed, dude. Yeah, um, it's it's from its original appearance was in the Dark Knight Returns, and then it's was used intermittently in a lot of different books, um, and it was also used in uh, the Arrowverse as like the other place that we sometimes go sometimes. So yeah, I thought it was interesting that they, they use that as a location again, totally unnecessary, but just, you know, just a little nod to the universe that, uh, yeah, it's the court of Maltese once again, that's causing problems. Right. So I liked that. Um, I almost thought that Starro was not treated with the level of severity that it deserved. 
honestly, because you think about it, right? Like they basically did a fucking at at version of this shit, right? Where you s- flew the fucking snowspeeder around and made sorrow trip, and then the whole thing's over with, right? Um, I, I thought, you know, I mean, this is this is a villain that the Justice League shows up to deal with, and to just like cut off one of his legs didn't really seem substantial enough for me. But what did you think, Doug? Oh my gosh, there's so much I I, I want to talk about. Um, the first thing I'll mention is that I think Gunn owes the Doom Patrol series um, a little bit of love because I'm not sure that this movie gets made the way that it does if they hadn't kind of laid the groundwork for so much absurdity. That was my favorite thing about Starro is is we get a ridiculous villain uh, against uh, a group of r- ridiculous antiheroes, right? right? But um, they, I thought they did a good enough job setting it up in the beginning. Like, first of all, we want to keep this very hush hush, and we learn later that it's because the U.S. has some culpability in this, and they also don't really know what they're going to find in Jotunheim. So the fact that they don't bring in the big guns. With, you know, Superman or or anyone else uh, from the actual Justice League that that might be able to deal a, a faster ass whooping kind of makes sense because we didn't really know it was Starro until the third act. And well, unless you'd seen the trailer, which my only gripe with that trailer is that <laughs> that they sh- that they showed that villain. But uh, yeah, it I, I I think that's actually one of the, the things that that plays well to the movie is that we see. Starro emerge and, and you get a sense of his his size and scope and the, it, you're like well they're they're fucked but they they find a way and that's what I found in my second viewing that I I really appreciated and and I'm surprised it it, it took me two viewings but the the rats the rat catcher being that the the story there the rats are an obvious fucking metaphor for the Suicide Squad. Like we hear Taika call them the most like despised of creatures, but you get enough of them together and they can accomplish things that, that you didn't think uh, were were possible. And they're also capable of deeper emotions and uh, all, all kinds of things. And uh, again, that's why I'm glad I, I watched it twice because I'm like, oh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so, Colin, what did you think of Starro? I mean, I, I know your your DC cred's pretty solid at this point. Did you feel like this was the right villain for the show? I think it was, and and for for one singular reason, and it it may be a little bit shooting in the dark here, but I think that Starro is supposed to be a small small start to a segue into introducing. Suicide Squad and the Justice League. So like you said, Starro is a, a huge villain. Like, And that, that was – you said it was kind of disappointing to see him go immediately. I wholeheartedly agree. But I think what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to bring more attention. His – Starro's presence is supposed to bring more attention to the Suicide Squad. You know, you see you see Bloodsport's daughter seeing it on the news. So they're, they're on the news now. Now everybody knows that Task Force X is a thing, you know. So I think what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to slowly start putting – two and two together, uh, two being, you know, Justice League and the other two being Suicide Squad. I think we're going to start seeing them more intertwined. Like, you know, in the first film, they show Batman arresting Deadshot and uh, Batman fucking with the Joker and Harley, you know. So I think they're going to slowly start doing that. I think that's where Gunn wants to go because that's always what I've been wanting, you know, with, with the, the new game coming out, you know, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League or whatever the title of that is. Um, 
I think that's where Gunn wants to point this is bringing it more into the DC universe. And I think Starro was a perfect way to do that was to put them in everybody's put them underneath everybody's microscope. So then everyone knows who they are, including the bigger guys being the Justice League of America. That was the movie that Gunn wanted to make was the Suicide Squad versus Kal-El. And and that got quashed relatively early, even though, like you said, it would have made an excellent dovetail into the uh, the video game, which is <clears throat> exactly that. Mm-hmm. Well, and and from what I know, it's the, the the story that they're trying to go with is the Joker killing Lois Lane and fucking Kal-El going off the rails, right? Isn't that where we're right. going with the injustice? Yeah, yeah, so I think that's where they're going with this, and that's what I want to see is – like I said, I love that they're separating Harley away from the Joker and creating her own character because that's what they did in the New 52. And that's what Harley deserves. Is she she has so much character to her because she started out as she's if, if I remember correctly, she started out as just a side character from the animated series. Right. She was not written in. She, her first appearance ever was in the animated series. And then they said, hey, let's take this female goon of the Jokers and give her her own story. And they did that, but you know, then they incorporated incorporated her in the Suicide Squad, and they created this kind of um, anchor to her and the Joker that she can't be far from him. And even though she tries to kill him or he tries to kill her, you know, she's always close to him. And they reference that, like what you said, that she she's attracted to bad people. But they make her own story. They don't ever say the Joker's name in this film, and I appreciate that because he is not the Suicide Squad. Never had anything to do with it, um, at least from what I know. So. I think he, what he doesn't get mentioned by name, but the yeah. back of Harley's jacket says live fast, die clown. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and that's and that you know, and that's what I'm saying is like it's it's perfect that they they slow that they do it in the background that we all know the Joker is incorporated with her and that he's still a part of Harley's life going forward with the universe, but that he's his own separate thing, you know, and that's. That's what I and, you know, I don't know if it connects at all to the Snyderverse. You know, I don't know if this film does connect to the Snyderverse. But, you know, in that in that end scene in the in the in the nightmare, you know, he references, you know, when I held Harley Quinn with her dying breath, she told me that I was or she told me to kill you. And or no, she told me to do it slowly and make no mistake. I will fucking kill you. You know, and that's I feel like he's slowly trying to incorporate the better pieces of the Snyderverse. And I think that's where they're trying to go with it is Joker will kill Lois Lane and Kal-El will make an appearance and the Suicide Squad will have a role in taking down Superman. I I guess that was kind of my point in bringing up Gunn's original intentions, though. My story is that DC knew they had to have a hit, uh, especially on the heels of the absolute fucking dumpster fire of, of Wonder Woman 84, which w- Wonder Woman was was their meal ticket. Uh, before that like she you guys, was you the only like that I 84 I shut was... up carl <laughs> <laughs> so fucking full of shit <laughs> but we like this is this is the first dc movie we get since 84 right mm. and and dc knows they have to fucking knock it out of the park they know they've got an amazing director and a writer if he has an idea why don't they roll with that to begin with well, I think one thing that that Gunn realizes that, you know, and I don't want to get too far off track here, that Reynolds realizes about Deadpool is you can only have the Suicide Squad and off kilter kind of, you know, when they first like mentioned the Suicide Squad, you know, back in 2016, you know, I think it was or 2000, whenever that first film came out, everyone was like, oh, OK, we know who this is because of Harley, you know, and then they watch film and you're introduced to El Diablo, whatever. Well, 
I think it's just, I think he realizes Deadpool's flaw with what Reynolds has been trying to do is he's been trying to incorporate Deadpool into the MCU, you know, and recently I think he got that. He wants to incorporate Wolverine and he wants this Spidey Deadpool relationship. Gunn, I think, wants the same thing that, hey, this is a ragtag. We can have this story as its own with Harley and King Shark and Bloodsport and Deadshot and who else. But we want to incorporate that into what we love and know, which is the Justice League. So I think that's what he realizes that no one else kind of sees is that he needs to do that eventually. You can't make three solo Suicide Squad films and it hold the same level of energy as this one. It has to eventually, you know, connect to the universe that, you know, goes on that we love and know. Make no mistake. James Gunn holds the DC universe in his hand right now. He's already been promised a couple more movies. I would not be surprised if the next Justice League film is directed by James Gunn. I'm not even kidding you guys. And I know the tone doesn't seem the same, but like Doug said, DC had to make money on this. This had to be, you know, critically successful, audience successful, and they had to turn a profit. And I think they did all three things basically opening weekend or they will. They're scheduled to make a profit. I know the Rotten Tomato scores, and that's not always the best thing to go off of are high and everyone I've talked to has really enjoyed the film. DC would be dumb and daft at this point, not to give James Gunn some control over the universe. Now, like Carl said, he's going to have rules. That's why you don't have Superman showing up in this as the bad guy. They're still going to say, okay, you can't do these things over here, but Hey, if you want to do these things over here that we haven't explored yet, that's good. I think James Gunn at this point will be signed to DC where DC is going to have problems they weren't as, I guess, not forthcoming, but they didn't book their actors. Roby's done, guys. She might come back for the amount of money. They don't have her on contract. That was her last role as Harley Quinn. I I read otherwise that uh, that there was a, a, a contract that she signed that was never made public. Um, I think it was back when she did the first Suicide, suicide Squad movie because she was even quoted as saying – I just signed away like the next 10 years of my life kind of thing. We looked up three articles last night and Roby had said in all three of them, I have no future plans to play Harley Quinn. And, and I, I certain I read something that, that uh, recently after, after the premiere of this one, or maybe a couple of weeks before she said, I would love to revisit this role. Well, I sure. She, now that it's making money. <laughs> I, th- I think, she like I think she, I has think she to has to, too. I think, I think you have to kind of lock down everybody at this point if you're going to go that direction. But DC's still playing five years behind. I, I read that they're doing a DC TV universe and Cena's getting his own show. I'm yeah, glad that they're doing coming this. Yeah, HBO Max. But, well, but and Gunn is directing that. Yeah, don't you feel like they're just a little bit behind? Like, oh, Marvel's making money on TV. Let's take our new character that's popular and let's give him a show. Well, we've had this conversation before. I, I still think that, you know, when you put pen to paper on television, you know, the amount of money that DC's made is not that far from what what Marvel's made. I, I really don't because of syndication. And said so you guys have heard me pimp this story to you more than once that I think there's a lot more money in the DC universe with these smaller projects with smaller budgets than we give them credit for. Damn, so content. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're 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 not trying to sell iPads, they're selling, you know, 10 cent lemonades, but the 10 cent lemonades only cost them zero, 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 one penny to make a piece. So I, all I the don't best DC for the, from the past 10 years has been 
the offshoot stuff, the animated stuff, Doom Patrol, this. Yeah, what? yeah. I, I, I don't disagree, but I, but I will say this. I, I don't, as much as I like James Gunn and as much as I'd like to see what he can do with a lot of the other stuff that's out there in the DC world, I, I don't feel good about saying, hey, man, you should do Batman or, hey, you should do Justice League. I there's a, 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 a there's a certain reverence that Snyder took too far with that material, but I don't think James Gunn would go far enough. I think I'm afraid his Justice League would end up more like the 1970s one with Wendy and Marvin. You know, it, it just it doesn't it doesn't fit to me for some. But reason. if he did that well. Wouldn't it be better than Snyder's version? I yes. like Snyder's version. I, I like Snyder's <laughs> version. I did. I, I really did. I liked the 17 and a half hour version of it. You know, it's I, I get it. It's not for everybody. It was probably a movie made for DC fanboys. What, Colin, did you like it? Did I loved you feel it. like it? Yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was what we needed. You know, I, like I said, I I agree. What something that you said, Dad, was that if you gave who, who was the one that um directed the first film um whedon whedon yeah if you gave whedon the materials in the time he might create a a, you know something better if not just as good um and i i I kind of agree with that but i also i think snyder took it in the way that we wanted to and establishing what we needed to see and here and here's what i mean by that is that marvel took the route of let's focus our entire what next 15 years 20 years on uh, Thanos, like we're going to do the Infinity Stone storyline. DC has a lot of storylines you could choose from. Uh, Christ's Son, Infinite Earths. You have the route of taking Flashpoint. Um, Which we're getting. Yeah, all those. Yeah, yep. all those. You, you have all well, these and different. Injustice. Yeah, you have all these different storylines you can take from. And I think Snyder was just trying to establish where he wants it to go. You know, and, and that might have not been his call to make. But I think that where he was going with it would have been a, a, a decent start. So... So talking about DC wasting money, how did you guys feel about uh, King Shark? Did we did we get our money's worth out of Sylvester Stallone playing that part? I loved King Shark. And the performance was good. And I, but I shouldn't let this stuff bother me. The intelligence levels were whack. So in one moment, it's hand or book read. And then the next minute, he's making a fake mustache joke. That's a large step in intelligence, I hate to say, between book read and, you know, thinking he can disguise himself. I, I like King Shark, though. I can't believe we haven't talked about King Shark until now. I here's my thing with King Shark. I think you kind of hit it on the nose is the King Shark that I know is a little bit more articulate from the comic books. He can kind of put like kind of like Hulk. You know, like he can put together sentences and they might be a little jamble, but you can understand what he's trying to convey. And this one, it was it was hand and mustache, you know, all that. And it kind of made no sense because I feel like he was a lot smarter or at least, like I said, more articulate in the comics. So I don't know why they chose the route of him being kind of dumbed down. But I I took it for as I took it as it is. I liked it. I I didn't think it hindered his character or the story at all. Well, how do you pitch that to Stallone? Hey, we know everyone thinks you're a dumbass, but we really want you to be fucking dumb. Well, and that's and that's really my point, right? Is like what kind of paycheck did Stallone get basically for doing an impression of Sylvester Stallone? Like, do we really feel like this is where the money should have gotten spent? Because I'm like, no, I mean, you if you even if you just wanted somebody to sound like Stallone because it's a good joke. 
anybody on this freaking call could have done as good of a Stallone impression as Stallone did. I, I just didn't feel like you got your money's worth out of it. And again, it's it's some of it's some of what you were saying, Colin, that you know, there there's this like this juxtaposition between like being super stupid and sort of present and aware. Like, how do you even weaponize that guy in the first place? Like, how do you even point him at the right target? Because you didn't tame him enough to make him operational until Ratcatcher had her sweet moment with him. Up to that point, he was just another lunatic loose in the jungle that was was a directionless weapon. And so I, I just was like, eh, I get what you were trying to do here, but I just I thought there it, it lacked an execution. Pardon the pun. You know, what did you think, Doug? I um I almost picked King Shark as as my favorite character. If Margot hadn't done such an amazing fucking job as as uh, as Harley Quinn, and they hadn't given her some of the best sequences in the film, I I easily could have picked King Shark because I don't know about you, but I watched this shit in in 4K. Uh, that was something I picked up on the second viewing too. The animation on King Shark is fucking amazing, and the emotion that they convey. He doesn't have a whole lot of speaking lines, and like you guys pointed out. Sometimes when he does talk, it doesn't really jive from one moment to the next. But when he when they're in the bus and he's watching the shit unfold and they kind of like leave him there and, and he's hunkered down and, and he's looking out through the window at like what's going along. You get so much from just the animation and and the facial expressions. And and I think he had a valid place in the movie. I'm I'm not going to argue whether you know, Sly was the right one to play the the voice or not, but I really liked the way that they executed the character. Well, I, I really hope that they do a little bit more development with him because right after I finished watching the Suicide Squad, I went and watched Assault on Arkham, and he, he I'm pretty sure he's in Assault on Arkham if I'm not mistaken, and I, his character, uh, yeah, because he he dies pretty pretty like the midway through the film, um. And, and again, he was articulate, and I really hope that they take direction with that because he can be so much more useful. You know, like you said, he's a weapon. Like Carl said, he's a weapon. He, I, I consider him like Polka Dot Man. You know, he's withheld. They kind of showed that he's strong. He can take these bullets. He can whatever. He can mess up – or he can, like, take on Starro and then get thrown through a building and be fine, you know. He had so much more use that they didn't take advantage of that I feel like they could have. So I hope that they go – the direction of in, like bringing him back for the next couple of films that they do and really giving him the utility that he offers the suicide squad being like the bullet sponge and the Hulk almost of that, of that group. But see, I think in the first suicide squad, they did a better job balancing the tone with croc for him being somewhere between an animal but not an animal. I, th I thought that the version of the the anthropomorphic hybrid man that they used in the first one was was just a better like you you when he goes underground in the first one with the seals to go plant the detonators like he's he he realizes he's probably not coming back like this is like that's his hero moment and you know there's there's the the monsters in front of you but the man and the heroes on the inside and he's the one that's gonna go take care of some shit. And you didn't really get that same ethos with, uh, or yeah, ethos or pathos, sorry, with, uh, uh, with King Shark. Yeah. <laughs> to Doug's point, though, the CGI was excellent. It was. I never, it never took me out of the movie. And you had him in situations like the bus or in the forest. 
uh, you had him everywhere in the movie and I never felt like he wasn't part of the cast. I never felt like I was looking at computer animation and usually in a movie when they computer animate something, even if it's just one jump in a fight scene, I can tell it never took me out of the film. So whatever they did spend on King shark worth every penny. I mean, you have to kind of think he's the Groot of this film, right? Sure. That's exactly how Gunn wrote him. And I don't blame him at all, man. If it works the first time, it'll probably work the second time too. And it definitely does. People love him too. You know, I, I keep seeing everywhere, you know, he's the focus of attention now, you know, the focus kind of shifted from, harlot harley you know this you know sexy whatever character that was brought in the universe to king shark which is kind of the dumber a little bit more you can be a little bit more sympathetic with his character in a way you know because of his emotions that they show and you can be a little bit more sympathetic but at the same time he's all powerful like i wholeheartedly agree with you so let me so let me ask you guys a question then if if somebody says to you hey um james gunn needs some help uh, we're figuring out what we want to do for the second movie. Um, we have to cut some villains. We have to add some villains. DC has given us a blank check. They said, other than the Joker, you can use whoever you want. Who would you like to see sub in like your top two from the DC universe? Who would you like to see subbed in for suicide squad? What fictional character do you think could round out the squad the best? Good question, right? Um, so I'll, let me go. So it gives you guys a second here to, to think about this. Um, I think, first of all, I think, uh, especially if Robbie, if Margot Robbie's done, I think you should sub in Catwoman. I think she would be an interesting choice to add. You do all kinds of interesting shit with her escaping over and over again for Belle Reeve, you know, 20 times and catching her on the way out the door, that kind of thing. Right. I think, I think she would be an interesting um, choice to add. Um, the second one that I was thinking about was maybe like Metallo from, uh, from Superman, because you end up with a super powerhouse villain again. Um, that is like, you're not taken away from your, your heavies that you want to use in like a, you know, um, in a justice league movie or something like that. But, um, but those are the two that I think like, if you, if you have to lose, uh, like Rick Flagg, for instance, and if you have to lose Robbie, those would be two that like draw you back to the Batman world and draw you back to the Superman world because they're both like principal villains. What do you think, Eric? Before I give my answer, word on the street is DC is looking at Scarlett Johansson as their Catwoman. Wow, she gonna do him like that? Good for her. Wow, I, I'm I'm with that too. You know, she's not coming back in the Marvel universe. If she does, it kind of ruins infinity war for me. So I'm, I'm down with that. We'll see if that happens though. We'll, Are we we'll talking about happens. that for a standalone movie or, or cause obviously like in the Batman, she's already been cast. Oh, she has. Okay. No, just, yeah. I guess either. Yeah. Standalone. I didn't, I didn't even think about, I didn't even think about the Pattinson. And again, yeah. this is all a rumor guys. But so who are your choices somewhere. for the squad? I got to go with gorilla Grodd. Oh, great choice, man. And then let's go with let's go with Maxi Zeus. <laughs> I, honestly, dude, those are inspired choices. Maxi Zeus would be fantastic, especially in J, in James Gunn's hands to see him pull something out of his ass with Maxi Zeus becoming like a legit villain. I would I would definitely pay for a ticket to that show. I think we can do Grodd because we've seen King Shark done so well. Right. I know right. hair hair is sometimes hard to animate. And maybe that's why King Shark was easier because he was smooth. Right. 
but I think we could get a good CG Gorilla Grodd. Maybe a little mix of practical, mix of CG, but I've always liked that villain, so. Yeah, that's a great choice, man. How about you, Colin? I, I My answer has to be Lex Luthor, because he doesn't have a lot of play. He doesn't have a big hand in the Suicide Squad, but I think that if they are going the route of the Injustice storyline with kal I think they have to introduce Lex Luthor, because him, him and uh, Waller kind of have this weird, you know, kind of under the radar, you know, they're going to do things behind closed curtains attitude. And like I said, Lex Luthor has made a few appearances in the comics with Suicide Squad, you know, whether that's funding them or giving them an operation to run on. I think that he would be a good introduction. I know he wouldn't be a main character as part of the squad. So it's a really weird answer to that question. But I I do want to see Lex Luthor be incorporated just as long as it's not Eisenberg. I think, you know, I I think that I think they can pull Lex Luthor off pretty well. See, that's, I don't know, that's, man. That that's the one silver lining to them not locking up characters uh, or actors for uh, the the long run is that uh, maybe we don't have to suffer Eisenberg long term. <laughs> yeah, but wouldn't it be great to see Eisenberg like in an actual prison role, like as part of the Suicide Squad, like on the floor scrubbing toilets with a toothbrush? Like I think that would be a great version of that. I don't want to see Jesse Eisenberg ever play that part ever again. <laughs> well, I th- I think you I think you got something there, Carl. Is because wasn't wasn't Luther involved with the Joker's killing of Lois Lane? Wasn't that like a he wanted to control Superman? He got Joker to do it for him, whatever. I think that'd be yep. an excellent way to do that. Is like, hey, here's Lex Luthor on the on the you know in the in the prison scrubbing toilets, being this whatever you know. He's just like they did with Bloodsport, you know, kind of showing him as doing trashy work that he feels like he's above because, you know, he's a multi-billionaire. Well, if they were to introduce that version and make a whole film with Lex Luthor involved where he's not anything with Superman, it would give him the character or give him the trait of wanting to hurt Superman back, wanting revenge for scrubbing toilets and being in prison, you know, and doing all that. So I think that would be a wonderful way to show it is him in prison getting introduced into the Suicide Squad. Well, and you could do a long game there where it's, you know, is Luther really in prison? I mean, you're telling me that this guy couldn't figure out how to get this thing out of his out of the back of his head, you know? Like, is yeah. he actually playing a long game here to maybe take Task Force X from Amanda Waller in the first place? You know, it'd Hashtag be a very interesting version. Bring back Rosenbaum. <laughs> <laughs> Gene Hackman. appropriate. Gene Hackman, come on. If Gene Hackman's willing to, to cut his hair, that was my biggest problem with the Superman movies. Hackman's like, I'm such a good actor. I'm not going to cut my hair to be Lex Luthor <laughs> because I'm 50. And I don't Fair. blame him. Doug, what are your choices? Um, so my first thoughts went to, uh, to women also, because I, I think, um, especially if we're losing Harley, you need a, a solid female replacement. And, you know, unfortunately there is a, uh, a dearth of, of like solid watchable DC villainesses, um, poison Ivy. Yeah, that's a good choice comes to mind. Um, and, and she could, she could help rope in, uh, she could be the vehicle to to introduce uh, you know some other characters uh, into like the the broader DCEU and once I started going down that path the the like the villains that we see frequently in the Berlani universe like Captain Cold or any of the the Flash iteration Zoom whatnot would be fun to start to like pull all of those properties together but uh, 
you know, if, if I had to pick one, that would be a like a fun kind of fucking curveball, which I feel like is part of what made this movie so enjoyable is because because of the the level of of, of absurdity. And I know I'm going to say his name wrong because I don't think I've ever fucking pronounced it right. But Mr. Fucking Mitzel Plixic, tick, tick, whatever. How you, you say his name? Mr. Mitzel Pitlick. Mitzel Pitlick. Well, here's my thing with the, the whole female roles in the Suicide Squad is you're absolutely right. They do need a strong female lead because I feel like that's what pulled everybody in with Robbie is she's just such a, such a strong character and played her so well. I if if they were to go a female route, you know, they did Birds of Prey and I, I will wholeheartedly I did not watch that film. Uh, it got shit reviews. I didn't hear a single good thing about it. it. It was better. I went back and watched it a second time and enjoyed it immensely. OK, I well, I'll, I'll go give it a watch. But I think that with the female roles, I think they could I think they would do better instead of trying to make the Suicide Squad with strong female roles. I think they should do a Gotham City Sirens with Poison Ivy, Harley and Catwoman. I think that would be a much better film where they establish it. Now, they could put Poison Ivy in the Suicide Squad and introduce her to Harley and kind of do that weird you know, relationship that they have where they're sisters almost, but they hate each other the same way. But I think a Sirens would would kind of fill that hole of the female lead way better. Okay, so this is how I know that that Margot Robbie is coming back to the DCEU. She is already signed to the Sirens movie. Right. That we get next year <laughs> or or the year after. So we know she's coming back. So so there is a Sirens movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I did not it, knew that. It's not in production yet, but it's uh, it's on the official like DC slate. OK, I thought Birds of Prey was kind of filling that hole because Sirens is kind of like a it's kind of I, I always felt like it was on a back burner, you know, but it, it, in terms of comics, it's not really a very popular thing. Like I don't go, you know, talk about Sirens very often and no one really brings it up. So I figured, you know, maybe maybe that's something they want to avoid because it's so, you know, it's kind of in the background. But um, I feel like that'd be a, such a good way to go with establishing Catwoman in this universe, establishing Poison Ivy and yet bringing a familiar face, Harley or, you know, Robbie for better term, you know, bringing her in. I think that would create such a good movie. I, did, I honestly did not know they had a Sirens film set up. That's new. That's new news to me. Well, now I'm double checking. Yeah. Gotham City Sirens is announced for 2022. Um, maybe 2023. They they've I think they've already filled up their their 2022 slate. It It is uh, it just shows up as a announced property. Sure. Does it, did it have a director on it yet? Is it Gun? It's not Gun. Um, it's not okay. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't. So E, who would you like to see? I answered already. Oh man, I'm I'm sorry. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is bad, dude. Sorry. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll pull two more out of my oh, ass man. if you want me to. Like <laughs> Copperhead. There you go, Carl. Copperhead. Well, and but and what other female King Tut? <laughs> Actually, if they're That's if they're focusing sorry. on on another. Like Siren's property, which will almost su- certainly include Poison Ivy, then Enchantress. You could do Enchantress. I think they did, I think they kind of no. did her dirty in the first film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was literally the worst part of the. She's what ruined that movie. Yeah, I, but I think they could do better with her. Like I, she was part of the she was part of the initial squad of the new Fifty Two issues. So I think that they could do better with Enchantress. She's not a strong character. 
Like she she doesn't hold as much weight as Harley would to fill that role. But I think they could do a little bit with her, kind of as they did with Polka Dot Man. That she she looks weird and you know you know everyone makes fun of her being this weird you know coming from a weird background and whatnot. But she's also immensely powerful. So I, I don't know. I think Enchantress would be a good fill. So if they're doing Sirens, that's not going to be the Pattinson Catwoman. Then they will certainly recast. Correct. I guess I feel like the Pattinson Catwoman is isn't aren't they doing year one for lack of a better term? Yeah, they'll recast Catwoman. And if they do have Robbie, they're going to put two other strong female actors as Catwoman as a point as Poison Ivy. I promise you that I'm getting the sense that the Pattinson thing is going to be a standalone Standalone. series of of movies. Um, See, and that's I'm scared of that, though, because I feel like Robbie would be the perfect kind of energy to bring to that, you know, because what we've seen of the Batman um, trailer, you know, it's grittier, you know, and it's darker toned. It's a little bit darker than Nolan even, you know, it's, it it has that almost, almost like Batman origins feel where it's like very dark and very, you know, this is the beginning of Batman and he's un he's unhinged. He's full of rage and vengeance and he doesn't really have all of his code set, you know, and Margot Robbie would bring a perfect you know energy where she's that off the walls and she she stands out immensely with her bright colors and whatever i feel like she would that's what i want to see is a darker batman story or a darker justice league whatever story along with that kind of high energy that robbie brings so i really hope that she does come back because she, she like i said I, I hate her mannerisms and i hate i hate or i hate her accent rather but i love her character i think she's exactly what the dcu needs they go a different direction after Suicide Squad. I know that they have movies planned and things planned, but I also think a movie like this and the impact it makes sets the course a little bit more for the future. I think you're always going to see studios adapt. Now that DC has seen that, oh, an R-rated, very violent movie works. With and penises. Again, I, with, with more penises than boobs. How many <laughs> movies can you say that you see more cock than tits and ass? <laughs> Even Robbie isn't sexualized at all. She has sex with Homeboy, who lost all his birds. And God, that made me cry my eyes out. Dude. I, I don't like when they kill birds. But she's not really sexualized. Do you guys think that she was? I didn't think so. I thought that that dress was very um, humble, if you will. Mm-hmm. Robbie's tits weren't hanging out the whole time. Her ass wasn't hanging out. She wasn't in the short, um, the Daisy Duke shorts at all. I felt like they really that Gunn knew what to do with Harley Quinn. He yeah, knew they, how to make her work. All of the exploitation was spent on on John Cena and his third leg. <laughs> <laughs> That's racist. <laughs> I, I wonder about that choice, though, for Cena. If Cena was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, and, and I, I think that. Like I oh, said, wait, I think... are we going to talk about John Cena's dick now for real? <laughs> Is that actually going to happen? We have to, right? We uh, have okay. to. I just I wanted to make sure like we were all going in eyes wide open here. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to make a real quick point before we go to John Cena's tripod. I think that we're going <laughs> to I think we're going to go back to I, I really want to touch on that exploitation of Margot Robbie. I think they're going to go with the, the history of her again. It's because, you know, in the new 52 version, they brought her as like a, you know, she was stealing clothes off of like college girls and whatnot to make her appearance. And that's kind of what they did with the first film. And she's like this she's kind of a more exposed, like I said, a harlot in a way. She's more of an exposed kind of um, take on this character. But I think that they're going to go back towards her roots and say she can wear whatever the fuck she wants. You know, the the red, 
I'm sorry, the red dress kind of gives a small callback to her red and black, um, her red and black costume that she wore in the original, whatever. But I just want to throw that in there. I feel like that's that's that mixing of the new 52 with the old history that she's not just this sexualized, you know, she's hot, whatever. She's also Harley. You know, she also has a lot more insanity behind her and character. Does she keep the spear? No. She can't. They brought the mallet back. I think they brought the mallet back, man. They have to. They have to include that mallet. That is her signature. Besides the big old revolver with the cork in it, you know, the mallet is part of. She's not Harley without the mallet, in my opinion. Just like Joker's not the Joker without his little sunflower acidic spray. You know, it's 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 one of those. I, I think she would hold on to it and they'll bring reference to it. But I think they're going to do, I think the spear is going to be a character they kill off early again. You know, they'll show it, she'll use it and then it's gone. It's a javelin, but that's splitting hairs. <laughs> no, I mean, that was the character's name. So <laughs> it, it's a spear to me, man. <laughs> I mean, we, we talked about it briefly, but uh since we're getting towards the end of the cast, it, it feels appropriate to talk about the after credit scene in the Suicide Squad movie. I was on the edge of my seat wondering if Weasel made it. <laughs> oh, the other the other after credit scene. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to embarrass myself here. Both watch throughs. I did not see the stinger. I, you, take take points off for me. I did not see the stinger. So I have to go look that up whether on YouTube or go watch it again. I did not see the stinger. Really, what we're getting is the setup for the Peacemaker series. Um, Oh, yeah. There's there's two of the technicians, um, and I only know this because I looked it up, but the character names are are John Economos, played by Steve Aggie. I I don't know how to pronounce any of this shit. And Amelia Hork. Harcourt plays, uh, or Amelia Harcourt is played by Jennifer Holland. So these... This is the, the 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 big dude with the glasses. That's uh uh you know one one of Waller's texts that he's the one that's like God damn I'm good at my fucking job. They've already been cast in in this Peacemaker series and they show up at the hospital uh, where they have uh, recovered Peacemaker and 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 are you know re- not resuscitating him but they're they're nursing him back to health because apparently he survived that that gunshot to the neck but. Uh, you know, it, an interesting fact, those, those two texts, uh, the, the names I just rattled off, they were also in that Brightburn movie that was directed mm-hmm. by or written and directed by two other guns, like a, a another gun brother and a gun cousin. There's like five guns in Hollywood these days. Now, are these the young guns? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't I don't know where they rank in, in terms of age, but good job, Carl. This Peacemaker, uh, it's going to be on HBO Max, right? Uh, that's right. what I heard. I, I totally forgot about that. I'm super excited to see Cena step back into an acting role. And just to help you out here, Colin, if you watch the movie on HBO Max, you can just fast forward to the after credit <laughs> sequence. It's pretty cool. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. I, I did not. I I knew there was a stinger my second watch through, but I totally forgot it. One, I saw a weasel get up and run in the forest, you know, and I was like, oh, OK, end of the movie. So I totally forgot to see that stinger. So, like I said, I, I, brownie points taken away. I totally forgot that. You're going to be sad, though, like I was, because they say, oh, we found him amongst the wreckage. He's not in the same shape, but he's going to live. And my first thought was, oh, shit, um, Polka Dot Man's alive. Oh, I, I was thinking flag. <laughs> 
okay, flag flag two, but my yeah, first thought was thought. like, oh, Polka Dot Man made it because he was uber powerful. Well, they, no, it's Cena though. I don't know, man. They they make a point to show Polka Dot Man though, like you know, it's yeah. like she's they show they show his. It's not even a carcass, man. It's just a fucking smear, like oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I, I see where I would love to see Polka Dot Man return. Man, I, I'd even settle for a like if they bring Polka Dot Man into the Peacemaker show or they reference him or something. I, they won't. They definitely won't. But you know, I would like I, I could see them doing something with Polka Dot Man, like a small mini series, kind of like they did with uh, like Loki or something like that. But I don't know. That, that actor's come a long way from his uh, bit part in The Dark Knight as. Uh one of joker's minions that um uh harvey interviews at at one point you remember that that sequence mm-hmm. where he's like flipping the coin and batman shows up and is like what the fuck are you doing mm-hmm. he's in tons of shit he was in yeah. ant-man he was in uh the jay and bob reboot he always shows up oh, in like yeah. a little bit part uh in movies i'm glad he's getting his you i think he's a really good actor and i can i'm not gonna even try to pronounce his last name it's like Dalmashtanian or something. David Dalmashtanian. Anyway, sorry I fucked your name up, but I think you're a great actor too. <laughs> hey, so I before we uh, before talk we about John Cena's penis. Now I'm, I was really hoping that we just missed that altogether, but <laughs> I mean, if you feel like it's newsworthy, I guess we can we we could cover it in the B package. Let's see what I did there. Just just real quick, <laughs> David Dalmashtian. Just to is give that, him his props. Or that's Dast, how you say it. David Dast Mauschian. Is yes. that German? You want another go? <laughs> no. Uh, he's <laughs> he's our age. Really? He was born in 77. Cool story. Okay. So <laughs> so before we close down, I, I, I wanted to I wanted to try a little game with you guys here. Um I went through and I did a count on all of the people that have ever been in the Suicide Squad. And it was amazing. The number was 191. Now, I only knew 81 of these people. Holy which, shit. Yeah. I mean, that's that that tells you how deep the turd bench goes. <laughs> that I only knew 81 of 191 of these people. So, I have a, I, 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 I wanted to ask you guys a couple of questions here. Um, I'm going to give you some names. And I want you to tell me if I just made these up. Or if these people were actually members of the Suicide Squad. I love it. You guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Dr. Thermaturge. That's, that's a real, real one. Yeah. Th- yeah, that's got to be real. Eric? I said real. Okay. Big Sir. How do you spell it? B-I-G-S-I-R. Oh, not S-U-R? All right. I'm going with fake then. I'm going with a real. I'm thinking, I, think, I think I've heard that one before. I'm also going with real. Okay. Um, Captain Rat. That's a real one. Uh, no, no, no that's, that's a fake. Yeah, I, I'm going with fake. Fake. Doug? I'm going with real. Doug um, says as he puts his issue Captain Rat number one in the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> Chemo. Real. 100% real. Yeah, it's got to be real. I'm I'm gonna follow Eric's lead on this one. I was gonna answer fake, but I trust Eric. Okay. Radar man. Oh my god. If there's a kite man, there's gotta be a radar man. Yeah. I think all these are real. I think it's gonna be I think that one's gotta be fake. Okay. Uh Aladdin. 
fake. Real. I, I'm going with real also. I got to go with real. Okay. We're almost done. Modem. That's real. That sounds like a lazy writer in the 80s. I'm going with real also. I'm starting to agree with Colin. These, these, I think that's the plot twist is these are all real. Uh, yeah, I, th- I got to go with real on that one too. I'll follow suit. Okay. Uh, Reactron. Real. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with real on that one too. I'll be unpopular and pick fake. Okay. Bulldozer. Real. Real. Okay. Okay. Reactron, Modem, Bulldozer, Big Sur, Aladdin, Dr. Thermaturge, and the crowd favorite, Chemo, were all real. Captain Rat and Radar Man were the two fakes. Okay. Okay. But that just tells you how fucking terrible the B-bitch at DC is. (laughs) (laughs) And I I mean... I, 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 that's what makes the Suicide Squad so fucking good. I mean, come on, Polka Dot Man, though? Like, yeah. the stupidest names. Chemo's I mean, a Superman villain, correct? What? That's how I, mean, I knew it, because I, I want to say I have a Chemo trading card, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. I thought that the detachable kid was a real character. According to what I read today, and not everything on the internet's true, but Gunn invented that character for Fillion to play. I, yeah. you, you think that's kind of a callback though, where he's like, "What? What is TDK?" And he's like, "It's me." Do you think that's? Do you think that's kind of like a reference to that, that he created that, and that's Nathan Fillion's own character? Like, it's me. TDK is me. You know. It was all the names of that is dickhead. Yeah, that that's the joke that they stole from Infinity War, right? Right. Which which I know Gunn produced, but uh, and I love the joke. It, it it was just a little disappointing to see it like copied so easily. Oh, we're using made-up names. <laughs> so no. I gotta tell you, <laughs> no, it was uh, when when Thor's like, we need to go to Nedavellir, and and Drax is like, that's a made-up word, and Thor's Thor says, all words are made up. <laughs> it, it, it's it's my favorite line in Infinity War. <laughs> so the two that I left off the list, and I'm really disappointed that I missed these. I just didn't go far enough da- far enough down. There is a villain called the Hunky Punk. Do you have a superpower? What's his superpower? And silent majority. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know this is kind of a, a pseudo live event that we're doing right now, but I just really feel like silent majority villain superpower is something that we should be typing into uh, uh, Google right now. And there is, I swear to God, not only a villain called silent majority, there is a silent majority too. There is a second silent majority character. That's I awesome. am beyond flabbergasted to know that this is biofission. It seems to be his power. Silent majority possesses um, the ability to create duplicates of himself through acts of fission, which apparently doesn't like destroy the planet while he's doing it. Uh, duplicates could function independently of one another. I, I do definitely feel like it's also worth looking up the hunky punk. Because, uh, I mean, the hunky okay. punk. So there is a character called Arm Fall Off Boy from the wow. 80s in, in DCEU that is an obvious inspiration for the the detachable kid. Why wouldn't wow. God just use him, though? That was what's perplexing to me, and that's why I brought up the trivia question. It's because you have, like Carl said, 181 people to draw from why would you invent your own character 
I mean, well, Dillian could have played one of those other 90 people. Well, certainly when you've got somebody like the Hunky Punk to choose from. <laughs> the Hunky Punk. I swear to God, this is terrifying. Yeah, the Hunky Punk. Uh, you guys have got to see this. This that is sounds terrifying. like something my dad would say, and that probably means we shouldn't say it. <laughs> there's there's the Hunky Punk, boys. So he's Green yeah. Goblin? Wow. Yeah, yeah, basically he's Green Goblin. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's the genius of this whole thing is like and, – and again – bringing this home right this is the genius of giving something like this to james gunn to work with is like james gunn probably did the exact same thing i did he dumped everything off of wikipedia and made a spreadsheet and was like the hunky punk mm, maybe not it just like started going through this list of nonsense to find the one that he was like oh god this is great and just started pairing the ingredients together to figure out what he could make from it um, I mean, you got 191 villains to choose from. Like it's, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches. If you can't do something with that, what do you, what can you do? So to, to wrap it up, I want to ask, we'll start with you, dad, then we'll go to Eric and then we'll leave Carl, the expert last. What was your overall one to 10 rating of this film? Eight. I'll give it an eight as well. I know that seems like a cop out, but it was a solid eight. Yeah, I'll go eight. Post post Nolan universe, I'll go. That's an eight quality film for DC. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you guys. I just like you said, Eric, earlier. You know, everyone is kind of throwing around the Rotten Tomatoes, and it's eh. You know, it, it can be trusted sometimes, but you know, most of the time on a film like this where it's somewhat controversial but not controversial and highly loved, it's kind of hard to get a, a good grasp on what everyone actually thought of it. So. Well, either way, I really appreciate you guys coming on and sitting down and being able to discuss this 8 out of 10 film with me. It was so much fun being able to hear what you guys had to say about it and having these discussions about John Cena's penis. It was awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dad, for coming on. Uh, Thank you, Eric, for coming on. And thank you, Carl, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Colin. It was awesome. Good times. Yeah, I was honored, bud. Yeah, I would really like to have you guys on again. So I guess we'll... We'll we'll find something else that we can we can talk in depth about because I'd love to have you guys back on and like I said thanks again and Dwayne thank Johnson's you. Johnson thank you very much for tuning in to this episode of Down the Beaten Shaft we will see you next time.